0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Line 6. Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling, and makes guitars, amps, effects pedals, and multi-effects. We introduced the world's first digital modeling amp, and we're behind the groundbreaking pod multi-effect, which revolutionized the industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone. Line 6 will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Manisek, and A.L. Levy.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Joey Sturges Forum podcast again. Interesting thing, happy anniversary everyone. This has been a year now we've been doing this. Crazy. Woohoo! It's pretty awesome. And... One of our first guests, we didn't publish him first, but one of our first guests was Josh Newell and we have him on the line with us today. Say hey Josh. Hey guys. No,
2: Josh was the first guest, not one of the first guests. Oh yeah, well. Yeah. You can look at it both ways.
3: It just got confusing and complicated. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, no, that's that's my job, make everything 8 times more complicated than it needs to be.
3: <laughs> Someone's got to do it, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, 1 year. That's kind of crazy.
1: I just want to say thanks to anyone that actually heard all the episodes from the beginning to now. Thanks for being subscribed for so long. That's great. And you know, hopefully you've helped spread the word a little bit with about, you know, what we're doing here. What so, about
2: people who just subscribed now and binge listened to 50-something worth of episodes in a week because I know there's some guys that do that.
3: I and, love that. That's like my favorite kind of person because that's what I do. Like when I find a podcast that I like, I sit down and I just, that's it for like a week. And then I listen to all of it and then I'm like, why isn't there more?
1: <laughs> I did that with Breaking Bad Yeah, like I, a few months ago. I just started, uh, I just started watching The Prophet and uh, I bought every season and just started binge watching it. So I do the same thing, but more power to you if you can get through all these, I think we're at uh, 60 plus hours episodes now, if you were to sit down and listen to it front to back. So that's amazing. Congratulations to all of you guys as well. Um, you know, we did it. C- congrats for uh, not quitting. <laughs> We did it,
2: fam. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. some of you guys actually have really achieved some exciting things. I mean, there's a lot of our listeners that we've seen doing really, really big and exciting stuff. And it's really awesome to be part of that from our end.
2: Yeah, I dig that people who, when I first started interacting with them like a year, year and a half ago, were doing some, you know, not the coolest thing. And now they, you know, have since moved on to doing shit for Sony or, you know, or now they've quit their jobs and are engineers only, you know, lo- lots of stories like that. There's definitely more than a handful now of people who over the past year have gone pro or have taken an already pro career to even better places. So that's always really, really cool.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think like anything, it's, you get what you put into it and the harder you work, the more passionate and committed you are to excellence. And the more you want to be great at what you're doing, the better you're going to be. And I feel that like education is an immersive experience. You just have to live, breathe, eat, sleep, what you're passionate about, and then you will become great at it over time.
2: Yeah. Well, do any of you guys here ever watch anything like outside of our field, like uh, inside the actor's studio? or anything like that? A- anyone here? Josh, you live in Hollywood, so of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm really up on the hot gossip. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've seen no. Inside the Actor Studio a bit. Well, I, I never wanted to be an actor or anything, so that's not why I've watched some of it. I'm just wondering, just because... Uh, anyways, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's basically really, really prolific actors, like you know, like a uh, Daniel Day-Lewis-type character or something, basically talking for two hours about the real shit. And, uh, I just find it fascinating in any field when someone is amazing at what they do or has a story to tell about how they went from, you know, being in the audience to being the person on stage or, uh, who went from dreaming about doing something to doing it. I really don't care what it is. I don't care if it's in business or in sports or in audio or in, uh, acting or something. So, I don't know. I feel like with the with something like this podcast, I think it's really really positive for people to just keep hearing from dudes who have done it over and over and over again because it makes it a reality that actually having a career in this field is possible. It's kind of like I grew up with a dad in the music industry. So, the way I grew up having a career in music never didn't make sense. Like I know if you didn't grow up with a musical family, uh, there's a lot more to overcome. Other than the fact that the career in music is just fucking hard to begin with, you've also got a lot of different pressures. Because if you don't have a musical family who doesn't know anything about the industry, typically, the people I know who come from those backgrounds, they have to overcome lots of uh, negative pressure from going into that direction, So uh, you because know, it doesn't seem like a real career or realistic at all and people don't want their kids to be poor. So, um, <laughs> but the way I grew up, it all made perfect sense, right? My from the time I was porn, I just saw people who were pro musicians. It just it didn't even occur to me that this was a hard career to get into. And I mean now I know the difference. But I feel like uh, something like this, where over and over and over, you're hearing from guys who have made it a real thing, like Sir Josh here. I think that that's good for people, so that they can at least visualize that it's that it's uh, a viable option if uh, if you do the right things.
3: Well, here's the thing: like, is anything that is worth doing actually ever easy, because if you just got it right away and and you had like an overnight success and it was given to you too easy, you wouldn't respect it, you wouldn't appreciate it, it would go to your head, and eventually you would get lazy and it would affect your career in a negative way. So really, it's better to take a long road and to struggle through it, at least in my opinion, and work hard, because it's about the process and the enjoyment of doing it, the passion of music, the passion of audio, and just being immersed in it every single day. And that's really you know that's where the magic is it's not necessarily about reaching the goal it's just really being in doing what you love
2: josh i, have a, I that makes me think of something that maybe josh can answer about cuz um i know that you again since geographically where you're at you're in la in, in that scene you know how there's this misconception sometimes that uh people can get their way bought into the industry. And I have a theory on that. You know, like if they have a really rich dad or something, something with connections, I have a theory. My theory is that, yes, money can, a luck or a connection or something can buy the door opening. Like it can open the door to meeting somebody and maybe getting an initial chance or something along those lines. But there's no way in hell that, Any of that will actually translate to a career. The only advantage is that you might get a meeting or something. Everyone I know who has gotten that silver spoon uh, without the work, who has maybe possibly gotten a little advantage for a little while, has failed. Eventually, like never lasted. And since you're in L.A. and there's a lot of that, I was just wondering your thoughts on it. There's a lot of people uh, trying to make it and failing. Um, Well, or who get
4: bought in to it. Yeah, it's interesting. There, There has been a little bit of a phenomenon, it seems, recently in L.A., I mean, when I got into music, um, I remember halfway through college, it was 1999 and NSYNC was selling, you know, 2 million records a week. And I was like, this is the best career decision I could have ever made. Like (laughs) records are going to sell forever. And then, you know, Napster happened and everything else. But there is kind of a trend in LA at the moment of, uh, vanity studios, I guess is the best way to word it. What does that mean? People deciding they want to get in the music industry and, um... Getting some. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And just buying a studio. Like there's been places, and, and I'm not talking about anybody in specific here at all.
1: Well, Vine Stars are doing this. What's that? Vine stars, like people who have like 3 million followers on Vine just because they make really cool six-second videos. Oh, right, right. All of a sudden try to go, oh, now I can sing. Um, Here's me in the studio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're talking about people starting studios, is that right? To a degree or, I mean, with the, the
4: turnover in L.A. with studios right now, or well, not right now, but L.A. real estate being what it is, and mm. some of these older studios just budgets being what they are, there are people now that are kind of um, – I don't know, they'll go get a recording degree or they just decide they want to work in music and they'll uh, they'll get their parents or some other financial investor to just buy them a studio and they'll kind of start a studio and booking themselves as a producer engineer and they haven't really put in the legwork on it. And some of those places are working really well right off the, the bat. And then a lot of times it, goes, it turns sour just because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to treat um, a client. They, they just don't get in over their heads
2: eventually, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think I told you about this place. I worked at a place. Um, well, when I first moved to LA, I worked at a studio called Enterprise. and It's not around anymore. That's where uh, Dave Pensado used to mix and all those guys. Andy Wallace used to mix when he came out here. So that Enterprise has been broken up and it was a couple buildings. So one of them just got bought and the building uh, was originally built for, I think it was Bette Midler. So there's a giant scoring stage. There's this huge projection room. It's this really awesome, big live room and some people bought it and it was kind of some, some kids with money. I say kids, are like in their thirties. That's kids. They bought it, they put in this knee, they put in all this gear, but they didn't do, and uh, they didn't really do the research as to what you need for a studio type of situation. Like they would buy some really expensive boutique stuff, but then they wouldn't have enough SM57s, like that, that type <laughs> of a, stuff.
2: Or a patch like,
4: Yeah. Just, just <laughs> weird stuff. We're like, oh, we have this massive knee, but we've not gotten it recapped and serviced yet. So good luck finding a channel that works. <laughs> and it, it was the assist, like the assistant helped build it. He'd been recording school, but he never really assisted. So I got put on the session through a friend of mine and uh, he kind of gave me the warning. He's like, Hey, I can't do these days if you can pick it up. But the assistant, he's like, he's kind of like, he's cool, but he's like, well, you know, the other day I told him I want to record piano and I wanted, I think it was a pair of M50s on the piano. And he's like, can I come out and the assistant's putting a different pair of mics up? And my friend's like, Oh, you know, those aren't M50s. And the assistant was like, "I I know you said that, but like I recorded with piano here with these mics and it sounded really good, so I think you're going to want to use these instead." Oh my (laughs) god! (laughs) Thanks for your
3: opinion. (laughs) Exactly.
4: Like this is a two thousand dollar a day studio. Like you don't. That's that's not your job at all. You can get out other mics and be like, "Oh hey, uh, we also have these. You may want to try them." But you always set up with you know what the client wants first. So I come in and I had that kid and we were recording acoustic guitar. And it's like, there's the, there's no low end. This sounds really weird. Like, I don't... Can you change, you know, channels on the console? I think this one's damaged. And he's like, no, it's fine. That's that's just what acoustic guitar sounds like here. And it was kind of a... It didn't turn into a full-on argument, but it was a little back and forth. And I finally got him to just change the patch one over. And of course, the next channel over is fine, and it was a bad channel. And just like the the kid kind of argued with me on it. So it was... I mean, the whole situation was weird. The guys that owned it were giving discount rates to get people in there at first, but they would cut your session off to let somebody
2: else in if they had a bigger name, and then this bad assistant. So not surprisingly, that place went under within a year. Of course it did. Well, and that's exactly kind of what I'm saying. And I I just want to go into this so that we can dispel this myth that just because Daddy bought somebody a studio, that doesn't mean that they are going to have a career. And I want to say that because I think... A lot of uh, our audience, and I know this because we talk to them a lot, feel like they're at a disadvantage because maybe they're not coming from wealth or maybe they, you know, whatever circumstance in their life isn't giving them that kind of advantage. And I just want them to know that that's not necessarily an advantage. Yes, there are a few people who came from a great background who – took that initial boost and ran with it and made the best of it, of course. But they would have done it even if they came from a non-wealthy background or, you know, non-privileged. So what it, it, it that will never keep you a career. Your career will come from everything that we've talked about in other episodes or even when we talked with you, Josh, last time about what it takes to actually work for other people. Uh, there's no way around doing the work. There's just no way I I don't see one, at least. Not if you want to stick in it long-term.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only way you're going to make it, I think, uh, solely based on financial backing is if, (laughs) I mean, the only way I can think of it working is if you have the financial backing to hire yourself a really great engineer who's really going to kind of do all the work for you and you're going to pay him enough to be kind of your producer engineer guy, (laughs) keep your name on things, which, uh, yeah, I, I can think of a couple cases where that's happened, but it's really <laughs> but they're out those are outliers those are total yeah, outliers no, at the, yeah at the end of the day that's not a common thing and and at the end of the day the success of that person has really come down to the fact that the other guy has worked really hard and has the talent
2: and then what happens when the other guy gets discovered by a real producer or something and then gets taken away cuz i have seen i i know actually of about a, a couple of times when that's happened actually uh, oh I just
3: thought of a great analogy for this. Go Check ahead. this out. It's like steroids, right? So <laughs> if you don't go to the gym and you're all juiced up on steroids, it doesn't matter. You're not going to gain a lot of muscle. But if you're in the gym and you get the steroids, it's like, you know, you get all jacked up really quickly and you're going to get massive gains. So it's kind of like the same thing. You know, if you don't have the talent, you don't have the passion, you don't have the drive and the desire... It doesn't matter if you have backing.
2: Yeah. I, I don't want to equate money with something that will kill you and make your <laughs> and make and make your balls shrink though.
1: <laughs> but, but, but I get
2: the analogy. <laughs>
4: yeah, no, I, I it really if there are people out there feeling discouraged due to a lack of equipment, like that's not really what it comes down to. I'm trying to remember I worked with somebody. Oh, I think it was uh, let me just name drop here. I worked with John Bryan, if you guys know who that is. And his engineer was telling me, and this was really early on, his engineer was like, you know, it doesn't really come down to the budget or the equipment that you have. It's the time that you put into it. He was, you know, it's um, obviously there are technical limitations to a degree. Like recording a flute with a 57 is not going to get you the greatest flute sound. But (laughs) yep, (laughs) his point was... Like, if you really put the time into things and really work at it and really figure things out, like you can make a great record regardless of the budget. Like, he, it was his thing was, like, it's just the amount of time that you're willing to put in. Like, if you have limited resources, there are, way to, there are ways to make that work. It just may require, you know,
2: more work on your part to make that happen. I guess it depends on how limited of a resource your brain power is. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, I, that's what that's what I mean because that's where your drive comes from. It's all based on that. It's based on your drive, your perseverance, your creativity to make the most out of less than ideal situation, and then of course your skills. All of those are for, come from you, and so yeah, that's what I mean. It, it just depends on how limited a resource you are, and if. You know, if that's not there, then uh, good luck. And I don't mean as in if someone is dumb or not. I mean as if, I mean in terms of the motivation side of things, the motivation, the perseverance, all that stuff. If that's not in you, no matter how much money you get, unless you do what Josh said, which is hire everyone and then pretend to be you, uh, that really won't get you very far. Yeah, well, at that point, you really have more of a career as a successful employer than a producer engineer anyway, so... Well, hey, creating jobs is admirable, I think.
3: Yeah, that's actually managing people is quite the skill.
2: Yeah, so, well, you know what? So uh, let me just say that if that becomes someone's career path to uh, employ a bunch of people and be like the the mastermind, then more power to them. uh, There's nothing wrong with that at all. Actually, we know some really great producers who kind of do that, who operate as a mastermind. But that's not what I mean, (laughs) you know, at the end, we're not talking about like the, some of the multi-platinum dudes like Rick Rubin, who are known for just hiring the most amazing teams and stuff that that's, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, we're, I'm talking more about the situation like you talked about earlier where someone gets bought into a career kind of, and then just hires people to pretend it's him. Yeah. Yeah. We recently worked with, uh, the session I'm on, we brought in a, uh,
4: kind of an EDM producer kid, some whiz kid. He's like 21 and, you know, ghost wrote for people for a while and is now worth I forget how many millions of dollars. And he came in with a laptop and Fruity Loops, which is probably like a $100 program. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is what I do all of my stuff on. And that kid has made millions of dollars and has a massively successful career and is working on Justin Bieber. did that too. On Yeah, on like a $150 program. So there's no, it's really not like the the cost of, getting into the profession at this point that's setting you back especially now that home recording has become such an affordable thing like i remember when Double Ones came out it was such a big deal that you could actually work on pro tools at home oh yeah you know for anyone that wants to get into it now the cost is not going to get much lower than it is i mean you can get reaper now and kind of do legit
2: work Man, i was talking to my my the singer from my old band last night and we were talking about how hard it used to be to start a band or a studio back like when we were starting it was it was such an effort to just be able to get recorded be able to get everything done be able to put out a product be able, any of it it's so easy now uh so yeah to me that's just all an excuse and uh, I think it's I and based on some of the uh assistant horror stories that I've heard from, some people in LA, including you, it blows my mind that, uh, you know, sometimes you don't even really need that many skills to just even get in the door. They're, they're probably not going to end up producing huge records, but I mean, to get in the door, there's a lot to be said for just showing up. Agreed. I mean, that joke that, uh, I don't know if it's a, a joker or saying or colloquialism, whatever the, the
4: proper, uh, name for it be, would be that, like, you know, the success is 90% showing up or something like that, yep. whatever, whatever that statement is, um. And I think, I I do think that's a lot of it. I mean, given how stressful making records is, and I don't mean that from a, like a, a negative experience, but like you know, it's a creative endeavor, and you're trying to translate what you're hearing in your head, and especially for someone that's doing it for the first time, or an artist that's trying to go in a new direction, or they're even trying to figure out the direction they want to work, it can be stressful. Like um, not unnecessarily pleasant, but like you know, it's. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Every, I'm sure everyone listening can can kind of relate. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pressure. There, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, and trying to figure out how to express yourself, or you know, if you're having trouble with a part, or you're not happy with a song, and you're reworking it. And usually, you're doing that in a studio where you're talking about. You know, at the end of the day, you're in like a twenty by thirty room if you're in a big studio, and that's with you know producer, engineer, other guys in your band, assistant, and if there's someone in there that's making you uncomfortable or. It's just a bad hang, really, or change, or is, or is making the session, just bringing like a, a cloud to the session vibe-wise. Like that person's gonna get let go. There are people that get, have. On, I, I know engineers that are good engineers who really ended up more as you know, techs or uh, editors or something else where they're not the one in the room just because they're they're not a good hang in the room. And I'm I'm maybe derailing a little bit, but you know, you're saying like no, you know, a big part of good. this is just getting your foot in and showing up, but. Once you get your foot in and show up, you also need I mean a huge part of that's being a good hang. I've had bad assistants who were at least like a, a good person to have in the room because they they had a good energy or they were really great at dealing with the artist or you know, if the drummer was insisting on coming by every day after he's done tracking and is just distracting things, I've had the assistants that will jump on the grenade and just talk to the drummer about whatever bizarre chemtrail conspiracy theory he wants <laughs> while everybody else is getting work done. And, like, that's that's a massive help because it keeps that dude from derailing the session. It keeps that guy from talking to me while I'm trying to, you know, record a guitar part or something like that. Like, there's a... That's awesome. I've had bad assistants. I'll rehire for that, that purpose.
2: I know that exact scenario. I can... Think clearly of this... Uh, I mean, it's happened many times, but I just the it just comes clearly this band i was working with uh, about a year and a half ago and they're kind of well known so i'm not going to say who it is but a uh, singer has uh has some substance problems and when he gets high he starts talking and when he starts talking, he doesn't stop talking. There's no start or stop, really. It's more like a pause. Like the conversation, you can, it's like you could come in or out of the conversation at any point in time and it would still be like the same thing. But uh, <laughs> so the moment he gets going, if he's in the room, uh, you will start hearing every single plan that the band has for the next two years, along with exactly what you are supposed to do for the mix, along with what you are doing (laughs) right now, along with whatever uh, Alex Jones just talked about and, uh, how Obama's a reptile. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so actually I did have an assistant who, when that would happen or well, it was, it was an intern, but, uh, bumped up to assistant after that, he would literally, uh, be like, Hey dude, you want to go smoke? And they'd go out back and smoke some weed. And like, he'd keep him away. It was great. Like that kind of stuff. That means that that it takes that, that understanding of, uh, Interpersonal relations to uh, to get through situations like that. Because- Here's a
3: good strategy for that. You got to have a good system and a collection of video games in a completely different room oh, from I the control that.
2: room.
1: That uh, doesn't I- work for everyone. I I worked with uh, Ask Alexander. They don't give a shit about video games. But
3: all right, they're unicorns then. Because like you can always walk the band out there and then like play them in a game and just kind of like hold on, I'll be back in five minutes and then actually go get work done when they're engrossed in Halo.
1: What I used to do is I'd I'd always set up outings uh, if I really needed to get some some hardcore shit done I'd set up like one of the things I did for example this is a bad example but whatever Um, (laughs) I set up like a field trip for the band to go check out Cell Dweller Studio and knowing that Cell Dweller lives like two hours away from here it would be at least four hours of driving uh, not counting how long the band would hang out at his place so I don't know that's something to think about, too. And if you have, like, uh, yeah. like my girlfriend would help out, too. You know, she'd, she'd take them, like, I don't know, bowling or take them to a restaurant. I
4: guess with the upside of me being in L.A. is there's so much to do here. And you can kind of send, like, you guys haven't been to the Rainbow yet. You have to go to the Rainbow. Yeah. Lemmy might be there, you know, playing poker. You should go go bother Lemmy and get out of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> or there's a strip club over there. You should go over there. Like, that'll be great. Or, yeah. I mean, one of the studios I like, uh, it was great. There's a bar across the street where my friend bartended. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, just go over there and she'll hook you up with some drinks. And it was a good way to buy some uh, some free time
3: <laughs> and diversionary tactics.
2: So, on the other hand, though, let's talk about some uh, the opposite. Like, so, you know, you can get bought into a situation with daddy's money or whatever and be an assistant and make Josh's life hell. Anyways, and (laughs) I I I don't know. I I know that you you were telling me a couple of interesting things that happened, kind of like the uh, the piano miking story. Do you have any other ones you could share with us? Um, I mean, in regards to
4: like a bad assistant turning things around, I worked. uh, I'm trying some label. I don't remember which one it was. Has kind of a a demo studio in their in their offices, kind of their A and R offices, and um, so we book it or the band's manager books it to do vocals. It was really kind of this pop artist. And I emailed the assistant. I was like, hey, what are my mic choices? What are the pre's? What are the compressors? Like, what can I bring? And the kid just emails back, you'll be using a U87 through an Avalon to an 1176. And I was like, Uh, thanks. (laughs) I was like, uh, okay. Is that? Is that just all that's available? And the kid sent back, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's all we have." I was like, "Okay, that th- I guess that's better than you telling me what I'm using <laughs> to show up." And it's it's some terrible situation where you know it's a Mackie big knob and speakers that are set to two different volumes through like a mixer where the they had a mixer before the big knob and the panning was off on that. Like it was the most blatantly, I, I hit play on something and it felt like you know I almost fell over to the left because it was such a left heavy thing and. I kind of fixed all that. He's like, and the kid's like, oh, I've never, never noticed that. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So we brought, <laughs> you know, Amazing. we brought our, uh, whatever model, uh, 251 style mic we had. And I was like, okay, if you can plug this up and I have this, you know, Neve style, uh, mic and we we're going to, I was like, well, at least use your 1176. Like if you just plug that in. And, uh, I went to get a coffee and come back and the kid's looking at me and, and he's like, I think your, your mic pre's wired up wrong because he's trying to put the female end in, like, the power jack because it was an XLR-style connection.
2: Oh, no. And I was like, oh,
4: Jesus, <laughs> this is going to be bad. So I get that hooked up, get it in there 1176. I got to adjust the input on it, and it just crackles out and dies. And the kid's like, oh, no one's ever adjusted that before. He's like, <laughs> all right, cool, that's dead. So hook up my Distressor. Same thing, like, he can't figure out how to go from a mic pre to a Distressor. So by the time the producer shows up, who's a buddy of mine, I was like, I, I don't know about this assistant. He just... I'm like, he's terrible. He doesn't know how to plug things in. And he's like, well, let's just 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 give him a shot anyway. And and there were there were another other couple things. They're starting to get really frustrated. The producer's like, I, obviously he pulled me aside. He's like, look, obviously this kid, because the kid engineered in that studio. He's like, obviously this kid's never had a real session. Um, you yeah, know, so like whatever. He's like, as long as he's he's cool and you've got stuff plugged in, let's let's just work through it. And that week, that kid really made it a point to try to learn as much that he didn't know as possible. Like hey, why are you doing that? Do you mind asking me this? And we brought, you know, some guitars and we're doing some programming and he hadn't really seen that because they mainly did pop and hip hop. And that kid at the end of the week, like he really made it a point to try to learn things. So by the end of the week, I felt bad that I had been so short with him initially. And I ran into him like uh, a month later at Guitar Center. I just buy some mic cables or something and he was there getting a credit card and a UA Apollo because we've been using one. He's like, I saw you guys using, using this and it sounded really good and I want to step up my production. So that kid, by the end of the week, he had started terrible, and he still didn't know a lot. But he at least wanted to learn, and that was good. But I'm—I don't know. If, I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast. I'm currently dealing with an assistant that's the exact opposite of that. We're this really <laughs> nice studio with an SSL four thousand G and all these crazy outboard mic prees and just gear. And we're about four months into the session. And the other day, you know, we went to record guitar, and I was like, "Hey, what's the input for the combo amp again?" And Someone asked him directly, I I knew the answer, and he couldn't remember, and he told them the wrong input. And it's like, dude, you've been on this session for four months, and you're paying so little attention and putting so little effort into getting better at your job that you can't even remember the input on on a guitar mic that we use easily every other day at the least. So, yeah, I'm just dealing with this kid right now that has no desire to learn, no desire to get better, and honestly, to a degree, he's being kept around for comedic relief. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I realize is if. That-
3: I hope he listens yeah. to this. <laughs> Maybe it'll be the eye opener he needs. <laughs> uh,
4: I don't think so because I've had ju- multiple direct conversations with him and it's not happened. So
3: Understandable. I, I've i gone through that myself. It reminds me of this story. Um, we were doing a drum forge session. I'm not going to say in what city or where or whatever, but there was a particular assistant that we had rented out just for one day because we came in, they had a whole bunch of new gear and I had worked out of the studio a couple of times before and rented it. And we came in and I'm like, okay, one day, just because there's a console in there I've never seen and the patch bay is all different, I just want to have somebody there so we don't screw this up and, you know, don't fry anything or whatever. And this guy, like, knew nothing. I mean, we were. I was like, dude, can you go set this up and can you molt this and do this so I can set this up and do that? And he was just like, okay. And then he would go in there and I'd come in and be sitting there, like, on his phone and be like, so did you get that set up? And he's like, oh, I don't know how. And I'm like, what? What do you mean you don't know how? Like, you just plug in the patch bay and it's not (laughs) hard to, pull two patch cables out and multi signal. Like, I just want this one in parallel with that. Like, why is that so difficult? And he's like, well, I don't know what input that is. I'm like, how do you not know what input? Don't you work here? He's like, yeah, every day. I'm like, you don't have an input sheet for the patch bay? Like, you don't know how the patch bay is? like, nope, it's not my patch bay. And I'm like, dude, you work here. Come on. Uh, you,
2: you know what, though? There would be a really easy solution of that for him would be, if he didn't know, he could just ask.
3: Well, I tried calling the guy who actually owned the stuff and he wasn't available. So then I just figured it out in like 30 seconds. Well, and, you, uh, you
2: did. I'm just saying that the assistant, if he had the uh, the type of, um, the I guess, the, uh, the stuff it takes to actually turn this into something, all he would have had to do is ask you if he didn't well, of understand of course, if something. he was a good
3: assistant. You know, for a, another example, we were setting up and tearing down mics. I'm like, hey, can you help us set up or tear down or can you go set this mic up? And he'd be like, yeah. And then he wouldn't do it. And we were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why am I paying you to sit there and basically know nothing, not know how to do anything. And just, it, it was weird, man. It was really irritating. I'm glad it wasn't very expensive.
2: I can tell you from my experience, uh, when I started working with dudes who were better or bigger than me or both, you know, I kind of got thrown in the deep end a lot, and I just decided that I'm not going to be embarrassed if I don't know something. I'm just going to ask because if you just ask, unless the person's a complete cock, and most people aren't. Most people are nice, and uh, if you're working for them, most people only partial cock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on how you depends on how you interact with them, but. Uh, <laughs> it, it, most of the time if you honestly don't know something and you just ask you'll get the answer and then it's over non-incident it's over everyone will forget about it as long as you actually paid attention to what they said and then you move on with life just ask Never just don't be afraid to ask it's so simple I mean the, the system I'm talking about right now we, we are
4: an expensive studio and we're doing a rock session in a place that usually does hip hop so they don't normally have the level of gear we do and they're not used to you know, model amps and and stuff like that. And this is the second record we've done at the studio. And the the first time we did it, our assistant really didn't know that much about making a rock record, but he really jumped in and he, uh, he figured out some ways to do things to improve workflow and just really, really like stepped it up. And it's just not happened with a new guy. And I even kind of gave the guy a chat. I mean, it's Linkin Park is the, the band I'm working with again. And I even pulled him aside because working with them as an assistant was kind of the way that I got into like just freelancing full time. And I, I, I told the kid like, Hey, don't like, don't drop the ball on this. Like being a good assistant with these guys is what got my career going. And he's, there's just nothing that's being, being taken to heart. And the other thing that's crazy is that the other engineer on the session has done, has done other sessions at this studio doing kind of like full band tracking and the assistants weren't knowledgeable, but he had a kid that, I think they wanted to do four mics on a kit, just kick, snare, some overheads. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, patch into those outboard knees and then into Pro Tools. And he, you know, went out to get a coffee, came back. And the kid, it took the kid like half an hour to do this. And the kid ended up patching directly from the mic panels to the Pro Tools inputs because he didn't even know how to go into the mic breeze. Um, <laughs> so oh that's God. that's that's the other engineer's uh, fear in firing our assistant that will get someone worse that will just do that. But, um, I know lots of guys who would take that job in a heartbeat, who know what to do. But anyway, sorry, oh, go no, on. Just my point being like, I don't, I, you know, our old assistant didn't know how to do stuff and he no longer works there, but, and he would just ask and we would tell him and things were great. And then the new guy doesn't know how to do stuff. It just doesn't seem to care. And I, I'm totally fine with working with someone that doesn't know everything I would like them to know, as long as they're like putting in the effort to learn. And I'm sure, honestly, I'm sure that goes for every profession, like You'd rather deal with someone that's maybe not knowledgeable but driven versus yes. someone that's just indifferent.
2: A lot of the guys who we've had on here, a lot of my producer friends, when they're hiring an assistant or they're getting an intern with the idea of eventually making them an assistant, a lot of the times they're looking for someone who might have very, very basic skills so that they can train them. So they're looking for someone who needs to learn. So it's not a bad thing. And I'm also I'm also kind of harping on this. Uh, for our listeners who are in the Private Producers Club on Facebook or in our group chats, uh, for anyone who's not in that, if you're a subscriber, you should be. But some people are afraid to ask some very basic questions, and uh, we, ha- you know, we have a no assholes taller uh, policy. So uh, in some forums, if you ask a basic question, you're going to get railed, but not. Not in our world. In our world, uh, that's not allowed. You can ask anything you want. And I just – I know there's a bunch of people afraid to do that because they're afraid that uh – you know, people are going to jump on them if they like if they don't know what the difference is between high Z is and in line input, you know, something like that. And uh, I just encourage people, if you don't know that, it's better to just ask so that you can learn and never have to worry about it again. So that you don't get into a situation where you're somehow working for Josh Newell and uh, that comes up. You know what I'm saying? Like, just ask. People will appreciate that. It's really not that big of a deal. But I've noticed that the guys who I've had interned under me who don't ask, they just kind of like, they're just kind of like afraid to piss me off or to look stupid. Don't last. But like my guy, John Douglas, who I've been working with for years and years, now he never asks because he's amazing. But uh, when I first started working with him, he, was, he already knew some stuff, but like, if he ever didn't know anything, he would just ask me how to do it, I'd tell him, and then done. Or if he messed something up, I would tell him, and then he would be like, okay, he'd find out how to fix it, done. Never came up again, boom.
3: Well, here's the thing. From the mentor side, so you are the one that has the assistant. You want your assistant asking you a lot of questions, and you want to see that eagerness. And it's just like, it's a no brainer because I love every time an assistant asks me a good question or whatever, I'll sit there and I'll answer it 20 different ways. I enjoy the interaction because I know that the person cares and they're listening very carefully to what I say. And that's how they become a great assistant in the first place.
4: You have to, I mean, you have to ask questions if, if every time an engineer came through the studio and they use a specific piece of gear. You're not going to become a better engineer by going, "Oh, Joe Ciccarelli uses an API, so I have to use an API," and that's going to be the secret to making drums sound better. Like, no, you need to ask, "Why are you using that?" Obviously, do this within. Learn to read the situation when you can and not and, and can't ask questions based on the time crunch. But if it comes up, go, "Hey, why do you like that? Like, why do you like positioning that that way? Why do you set that EQ?" I've noticed. Uh, and and by the way, congratulations on a year into this. And I, oh, I try thanks. to interact on the the Facebook thanks, page uh, every now and then. But like, it, it's good that you guys have set up kind of that safe place to answer questions. And it seems like answers get sussed out a little better. I noticed on a lot of other forums, if I go looking for information, there'll, there'll be a lot of a lot of misinformation. But you need you need to ask us. Those...
2: We cr- we crack down on that too. By the way, no, but we, I, I, I,
4: I've noticed, but it's. It's good to dispel the myth that buying any one piece of gear or using any one piece of equipment, no matter what you read about on Gear Sluts or, or um, not to pick on Gear Sluts, but just, you know, any, any, <laughs> I, or Pensado's place, any of those forums, or just because you saw, you know, j- one just, of us yeah, using just it, one of you guys uses it, or just because it's a Chris Lord Algae 1176, you know, it, that's, that's not, there, there's never going to be that one thing that makes things magical. I was telling somebody recently, you know, someone was talking about like needing a faster computer and I need this. And, and I've known Jay Rustin for years. That dude does amazing work. And I think he only upgraded from Pro Tools eight off a G five, maybe a year and a half ago. Like he was, and I've seen that dude do amazing work with just the bomb factory, 1176 and the EQ seven and Pro Tools. Like the, what comes in the box? Like it's, it's, and, and you know, so there you go, kids. If you want your mixes to sound amazing, use you know the EQ7 and the Bomb Factory 1176. But
3: <laughs> exclusive, or just hire Jay yeah. to or mix. go buy
4: Pro Tools 8 <laughs> because it has that sweet vintage digital sound. Um, <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like that's not what's important. It's that guy's good at what he's doing. Same thing with or, or dude like Andy Wallace. I remember reading an interview with him years ago where he was just like, "I work on what's available. I do have things that I prefer, but." I just work on what's available.
3: Yeah, it's about solving problems. It's not about a solution. And this is something we harp on and we see a lot on Nail the Mix is, you know, we'll say we did something or used something, and then all of a sudden everybody will take that literally and be like, oh, yeah, I got to go get this. I got to go get this. And it's like, well, you know, it's not about having that specific tool, it's about, the reason I tried to solve that problem when I mixed that song and what I was trying to get out of that tool. There's a million different ways of approaching any problem. That was just one particular solution used that day in that song, in that context, in that mix. So it's about problems and solving problems, not one bullet answers that are going to magically dissipate everything else. So you're
4: saying you're getting a bunch of messages from kids going, I put L1 on everything and it doesn't sound right. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) And I mean, L1 is great. There's a very specific reason I use it, but I mean, you can use anything. I mean, hell, Cubase, Stock, Limiter, finality, anything, literally anything.
2: You know, the thing about it, and this is why it doesn't piss me off and I feel like as long as we're doing this uh, which is looks like it's going to be for a while. It's just going to keep coming up. And I think because we're fighting a human nature thing, from what I understand, the brain wants to be able to categorize and classify things and interpret things literally. Like this is what causes this. That, that's how people like to think. So that's what they're looking for with audio. And so you almost have to kind of break your natural inclination to look for the definitive solution by this plus this equals this. Joel uses L1 for this. That's you the solution. You want to
3: solution. know why I really use L1? I'll tell you why. And this is going to sound completely not what you would think it is and... I think there's a lesson to be said here because you have to look at things sometimes from the sides and not head on and the obvious. I use L1 because I have so many damn plugins I've bought and installed on my computer and there's too many menus and I like to keep them all because sometimes I need them, but I know where L1 is in the list and I can quickly and easily find it. And some of my other plugins, I can't. So I like the stock ones and the Waves ones because they're very easy for me to find. And sometimes I want to find a specific plugin and I sit there staring at the menu for like a minute and a half and I'm like, oh yeah, it's under this and this and this and this and this and there it is. <laughs> there you go, guys. The that probably reason. sounds stupid, but it it it's fast and easy for me. And in my world, speed is everything. no. There
4: there are plugins that I'll default to that for that same reason. Like you know where they are for you Pro Tools users out there. I highly suggest there's an option in preferences to sort your plugins by type and manufacturer. That's yep. really handy. Or if I, I and I recently learned this on accent I think it's if you command yeah. If you command click on a plugin. As you're opening it, it'll put it in a default menu at the top. So like my edit rig, I have, you know, Melodyne, Auto-Tune, all that stuff. Like as soon as I go to plugins, they'll actually pop up by themselves before it even lists EQ, compression, all that stuff. I didn't know that was an option and I accidentally found it. Wow, what a great option. So wait, so you command click on the plugin? Yeah, like you, you know, you'd go to pick Melodyne, but hold command as you're clicking it and it'll throw it in the, uh, the top of the menu. I'm pretty sure it's command. So you, so like your favorites list, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, it actually gives you a favorites list. So like my edit
2: rig has, you know, my favorites there, my mix rig has my mix favorite like go-to. Okay, so real quick on this topic, because that's amazing. I have heard, and I don't know, maybe you do, I have heard that there is a way in Pro Tools to load a template, not load a template, but to load in a mixer setting to where uh, the plugins that you want will will just be there. And I don't mean by opening a template or loading session data. I've heard that there's a command within Pro Tools or like a list that you can click it off of something uh, that will give you, you know, all your all the basic plugins you want to start with already on the mixer. Have you heard of anything like this? Um
4: isn't it? I mean, can't you save it as a template? to create a new session, and you'll you can have all you yes. all the tracks and all the plugins will be
2: there. Yes, yes, the, yeah. But I mean, isn't I heard that there's a uh, a real like simple like a, a key command? For oh, that. that that I don't know. I always I've I've always done the template thing. So, all right. So then, yeah, it's probably just uh, chemtrails and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: if you're a Cubase user and you're not quite on the 64-bit train or the VST3 train. You can actually create your own menu structure in the VST folder just by taking the DLL files and putting them in different folders. So I've done that on my rig. I still use Cubase 32-bit on 64-bit Windows, and I use VST2 plugins. And you just move the DLL files around into different folders. You can name the folders whatever you want. And when you open Cubase next time, it'll appear that way in your menu.
3: You know what they have now is they have plug-in searching. So you can just type like L1 and it takes you right to the plugin in like Cubase 7 and higher. It's really fast.
1: Yeah, but list, I don't know. I don't like lifting my hand off the mouse and having to type, but <laughs> that's me.
3: Yeah, well.
2: So, I, Josh, I, this is for me and you because me and you are the Pro Tools guys. Uh, now that I've, I'm just wondering, I mean, I didn't start on Pro Tools. I learned Pro Tools because I had to for work. Um, I learned, you know uh there was no way around it i mean i feel like everybody everybody who's professional should have a working knowledge of pro tools because if you ever travel around and work at different studios there's a highly there's a high percentage of likelihood that you're going to encounter pro tools all right so that out of the way i really kind of like cubase better do you, do you work in Pro Tools because you love it or just because it's like, you know, you're in L.A., makes sense?
4: Um, I, I mainly, I, I'm like you. I didn't learn in Pro Tools. I actually had a really basic, I came across the notebook from it. I had a really basic Pro Tools class in college. Um, and I found my notebook when I moved into my new place. And it was really funny to read, like, this is how you open a session and this is how you save a session. And, you know, the audio files are called, well, they're clips now, but regions. Um, but I when I started, especially when I got to NRG, their thing at the time was the entire studio was set up on uh, an internal network, so you could just access your drive in any room, and everything was Pro Tools. And it was like, oh, I better learn how to do this. So I learned Pro Tools because that's what we use there. And every once in a while, you'd have a session that would come in that would maybe use Reason or something like that in a rewire situation. But I basically use Pro Tools. Like I find GarageBand frustrating because the quick keys don't do what they're supposed to. Like I know all these people like, oh, GarageBand's amazing. I think at this point, and and this is- You
2: actually met someone who said that? Wow. L.A. really is a weird place. Well, to
4: be fair, it was a producer that was doing songwriting stuff on his iPad and laptop when flying. Oh, Um, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. But that being said, I do know people are like, oh yeah, I work in GarageBand, man. It's awesome. You should use that. It's like, wow, I'm good. (laughs) Cubase. Yeah, no, Cubase I've heard a lot of good things about, and and I've meant to mess with it. The thing is, I just don't aside from ableton gets a little bit of use on a lot of some of the clients I'm working with now and I've been, I've been kind of working my way through that pro tools is just such a universal platform for the people I work with that that's all I work in just kind of out of the necessity of it i mean right now i'm just kind of exclusively a pro tools editor on the session well not exclusively but like that's my my main reason for hire is i'm the dude doing all the editing in pro tools because everything we're doing is in pro tools so it's really more that. Like, I, I've not, I've not yeah. really looked into finding another DAW just because there's never been a necessity for it that's come up. Like, I've not ended up in a studio here where someone needed something that wasn't in Pro Tools, and I've not ended up... Even guys that track stuff in Logic, they just consolidate to WAV files and send it over to the Pro Tools users. So.
2: I, I yearn for the day that uh, Cubase becomes the, uh, the de facto standard. I, I really do. Well, my current hope is that uh, UA actually buys Pro
4: Tools... Because apparently a lot of the guys that are programming at UA now are the original guys at Avid that kind of figured a lot of that stuff out. And that's been part of Avid's—this is all, you know, third-party from people I've talked to. Um, Avid lost a lot of their original guys, and that's why some of the things have never been improved. Because, like, the guy that figured out Beat Detective doesn't work there anymore. The guys that are there now don't really know how to recode Beat Detective, so— Beat Detective is ah, just going to be okay. like it is. Uh, again, that's that's kind of hearsay, but...
2: But, you know, but that's interesting because, you know, just like how the public likes to make up stories, a lot of people think that Avid wanted to get rid of Beat Detective because they're the evil empire, but it's probably just what you said. The guy that made it is gone. They don't know how to do it.
4: Yeah, I, and I'm yeah. sure implementing it into, you know, the 64-bit system is tricky. Also, I, I don't... The big part of Avid's business... Even here in LA with the number of studios we have, um, I have a friend that works at a really big avid seller here. The bulk of their business is, you know, NBC and Disney and Warner Brothers and these scoring stages and the people that do, I've got friends that they're, they make a living mixing commercials for FX and ABC. And there are 30 to 40 dudes just mixing all those spots you see uh, every week. Like, you know, this week on Modern Family, Wednesday nights, blah, blah, blah like those those companies are buying 60 to 70 HDX systems. So Avid's really not as worried about the music dudes anymore as they are selling to the, you know, post-production people
2: who don't need Beat Detective. So <laughs> Yeah, I guess I understand from a business perspective that's amazing. Well, and then again, hence why I yearn for the day when Cubase uh, becomes the thing or, you know, if UA buys buys Pro Tools out, that would be great too. UA is a fantastic company. I agree. I
4: uh, I will wholeheartedly, if anyone at UA is listening, I would very happily pimp my name out. for <laughs> Free UA <laughs> stuff.
2: Yeah, if you guys are listening, um, please do buy Pro Tools. So that I don't have to eventually switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> just for that reason.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know, I know it's, it's not, it's it's, it's a small investment for for them, like whatever, like
3: multi million dollar acquisition just, because they it, all just, said so. It's
2: just Pro Tools, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing small right there. So, another question though about the uh, assistant situation. One thing that you never said. So, the guy that was really good who you were talking about, like the polar opposite of what you're dealing with now, who doesn't work there anymore. Is he still working?
4: Uh, Yeah, he ended up, I, I mean, the reason he ended up, he kind of hit the glass ceiling where he was at, and then he's still working. I mean, we, we still talk to him and actually have hired him for uh, other uh outside projects the reason he kind of got out of it too is he ended up having some medical situations so it really wasn't like him being a, a poor oh, okay, assistant yeah. so he, he is still working but he's kind of having to get through some medical stuff so it's like a yes no yes he's working no not as much as you would think but it's not really it's by no fault of his
2: abilities as an assistant okay fair enough okay so but with the guy you guys have in there now like first of all do you have any more awesome stories and second of all is it really for comedic relief that is still there like I mean, I believe it, but because I've been in a situation like that before where where there was a about six years ago I was working on a record, and uh there was an assistant involved who just was so clumsy and so just like idiotic that people just wanted to keep him around for comedy. It sounds mean, but it's true, but then he never he never really worked past that. Do you guys really keep him around for? for that reason? I think
4: at this point, it, it's joking about keeping him around for comedic relief. Um, I ultimately don't get to make the final call on him being fired because there's another engineer involved and a producer. Um, and like I said, the other engineers had other bad experiences at the studio. So he's he's kind of the opinion, like he doesn't know who we're gonna get better there, which is an appalling thing to say at a professional studio, that there's a bunch of assistants running around that aren't up to par for what we're doing.
3: Any podcast subscriber want a yeah, job? exactly. Um,
4: <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, no, we, we are Sorry. having a conversation with the studio manager on Monday basically saying this guy really isn't working and the studio doesn't pay their assistance as much as other ones should or as other ones do. So I guess part of it's their fault that they're not really going to get the top level guys. But we are going to have a sit down meeting with the studio manager and basically say you guys need to hire somebody that's capable of working with us. Um, I'm not I, I know they've done that before with other studios where they felt like their assistant wasn't up to par that they've they've hired out. So I'm not, honestly, like I would have fired the guy a long time ago and I really try to be forgiving as much as that story of me earlier being cranky about the assistant not knowing how to plug in a mic pre. um, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and wait until they really like mess something up. That was really more of a warning sign type of situation. So if I had my choice, he would be fired. Every He's been around for a while, so I think everybody's kind of comfortable with him, which is like a big thing with the artist. But I think it's, it's, it's gotten over that hump and we're trying to solve the problem. Basically, we don't feel anybody else there's qualified enough to step in, so we need to figure that out.
2: That is so fascinating to me. And the reason I'm coming back to this is not because I want to talk shit or anything. I I find this to be fascinating, number one, and I'll explain why in in a second. And also, this should be inspiring to our listeners because, number one, it's fascinating that how in a city like L.A., Are you guys, or not you, but are people worried that the next guy coming in is going to be terrible? Like, how is there, how is it at the point where that is even a concern, right? It shouldn't be that way. It should be like, all right, this guy sucks. We're in LA. Let's get someone else. And there should, and you would imagine that there would be young guys like who are actually motivated who would understand that coming in, they kind of have to take low pay and work their way up. Like that's what you would think, but apparently not always the case. And that should be inspiring to our listeners that, you know, if you do what we're talking about with the networking and do your shit and get good and put yourself in the right spot, these types of openings happen. Like these types of things happen all the time. If You network properly and make sure that people know that you're decent and you're willing to uh, bite the bullet and take less than ideal pay at first there are spots opening because people do so. I,
4: I mean, I have
2: guys that I really like at other studios.
4: I've had you know, like I work at NRG a lot just because that's where I came up and the studio manager and I work there together. And if I get a session in that kind of has um, you know, low budget or NRG's kind of hooking me up with a deal just to do drums I'll I'll take one of their runners as my assistant and kind of walk them through like how we're doing the session and it's just kind of my trade off for working there is like, Oh, you guys give me a discount rate, have a runner instead of assistant. And I'll kind of like give the runner the lowdown on how things work just because I know how, I know how things work there because I worked there for so long and I've had runners there who would be great assistants and I would hire them in a heartbeat if I felt like the studio was going to take care of them. So part of the problem I think in that situation is that the studio is not taking care of their assistants quite the way they should so the the good assistants aren't staying. But yeah, I mean, if you're you're good at your job, you're going to get referred at some point. Or if you, you know, it's that thing like make a good impression, you get, you know, you just get referred for gigs. Like it's really, I mean, th- there's that, yeah, there's that, you know, whatever 90% of success is showing up. And we talked about being a good hang in the room and cool. But the other 10% is when you're asked to do something like don't screw it up and people will remember that. And that's, that's how you're going to get suggested. And I do feel... Like, yeah, they're in, when you start out in the music industry, you're going to make crap money. That's how it is. I, I lived for years sharing a bedroom with somebody because we were making minimum wages studio runners and LA's really expensive and it's really, really expensive now. It was cheaper then than it is now, but you know, was making like eight bucks an hour trying to pay off student loans and going to get food for the glint biscuit. And that was just, all right, you're going to have <laughs> to slug it out this way for a few years until you get somewhere and you know. Have your own room in your apartment, like that's just kind of how it is. If you want to, you want to make it in one of the the bigger cities. Like you're gonna have to suck it up for a while. It's not all glamour, and I don't know. Like there's just the people that want to make it, make it, and they they still do it in L.A. Like they'll come out here and they'll work. And you know, I know a lot of the guys here probably don't like that band, Blackville Brides, but those guitarists are really good, and they played in a ton of bands. Jinx, one of the guys, was. I mean, there's a series of bands in LA that everybody jokes that you have to go through to get somewhere in LA. Like he was in Amen and all these other bands. And I know he slept in a closet. He literally lived in someone's closet for a while just because she wanted to make it. And that's, you know, there you, you got to put in the work. you got to hustle. And like, especially if you move somewhere expensive like here, like it's just going to suck. You're not going to make money and it's going to be rough. But,
2: but you just got to realize, too, that these that positions will open up. And so people know you on the uh, Let's Check This Guy Out list. If people know you and like you, that yeah. is. So, and there will be no shortage of openings be- if you get on that list because a lot of people are just clueless at how to get audio done. <laughs> it's it, blo- it blows my mind some of the stories I've heard out of LA, not just from you, of people who are working who don't know what they're doing at all. So let that be a little inspiration for people who don't know you know, how they're going to make anything happen. If you've got some skills, put yourself out there and, uh, start making some friends and bite the bullet for a few years.
4: Yeah. Getting into, and I'm sure you guys all went through this too. Like your first, your first years getting into it. It's just not, not really that profitable. Like it's (laughs) nope.
3: It's not glorious at all, but it's definitely worth it.
4: Actually, this reminds me of talking to, um, uh shit, who uh, Josh Wilbur was telling me um we were we were working on something just kind of shooting the shit and he was he just moved to l a from New York and somehow the conversation came up about you know wh- oh, where did you start out like how did you work your way up and he was telling me he knew a, a knew a guy he was like a friend of a friend who who was maybe late twenties early thirties and was like you know I always thought about getting into music production like do you think I could make it and like you know I see how well you're doing and You know, he he had a wife and a kid too, so I kind of understand his concern in asking all this. But Josh told me that he finally told the guy, he's like, you you shouldn't get into music. And the guy was like, really, why? And Josh is like, because you're having this conversation with me because you want me to tell you that everything's going to be okay and that you're going to be fine and you'll be successful and you'll figure something out. And he's like, and I'm not saying that you won't do that, but he's like, when I got into music, I was just going to make it no matter what. Like you couldn't have told me that I wasn't going to make it. Like it wasn't my concern that I wasn't. It was, he's like, you want me to tell you that it's okay. And when I got into it, he's like, my drive was you weren't going to tell me that I couldn't do it. And so that was kind of his thing. Like you have to go into it with that kind of, that attitude. And I mean, even going into it with that attitude, I can't promise that you're going to be successful because there is, there is still a degree of luck with things, but I thought that was a really valid point. Like you can't, you kind of have to just jump in with both feet. You can't really tip tiptoe. Well, I guess you can kind of tiptoe in. Don't jump in with both feet if you don't know what you're doing. Don't be like, oh, I spent all of my money buying the studio and I have no idea and I'll figure it out from there. But yeah, <laughs> responsibly jump in, I guess.
2: Well, yeah, you know, uh, commit to it for years and be ready to take lower pay. Don't get $100,000 of the gear if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, obviously, got to be intelligent. I think that's a great quote from Josh. Yeah, if someone is asking that, they probably. Don't need to, uh, don't need to get in. But I've noticed a lot of times when people ask questions like that, they're not looking for the truth; they're looking for reassurance.
4: I mean, are you guys getting that a lot through the podcast? Since you three are obviously very successful in what you're doing, and you kind of have you're interacting with a lot of people that want to get into it. I mean, I don't see it, and there's I think there's an irresponsibility with some of the recording programs out here where. You know they're advertising because they want people to come to their their class. Their advertising is you know make platinum records, they like work in these studios, be famous, and they don't really do an accurate job of showing you what you're getting into. But but do no, you guys get that's, a lot of that's, <laughs> that's? I feel
2: like that's really scammy.
4: Actually, oh, that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's what you guys should be doing.
2: No, if anything, I mean, and Joel Joel has said this the most. If anything, we try to tell people to aim for. First, dominating a local market and worry about making a living, like making a platinum record, like stuff like that. That's such outlier stuff. Well,
1: there's a lot of people that don't think about the the merits of that ad. Right? Let's let's break down the ad and think about it for a second. If if somebody's promising you to be famous, they're essentially saying that only there's going to be a they're they're trying to promise a, a lottery. That yeah. has too many winners, it's not possible. I mean, exactly, there's only, there's only going to be like a few people that go through that whole funnel that end out, you know, on the other end being like the top, top dog. So, look at the ad and be like, no, that's you know, you can see right through that.
2: Yeah, I think. Ad, that might be true for one or two guys a year, but yeah, exactly. So, we definitely don't try to we try to push very much against that and just try to help people understand that there will always be guys who you know get famous at this or do a platinum record like yeah and most of the time they're fucking awesome at what they do but there's a luck factor And a timing factor that is completely outside of your control, like working with an artist at just the right time when the collective consciousness is ready for what that artist has to say and it resonates and you start a movement or whatever, like that kind of stuff, that's not in your control. Well,
3: here's the thing, like you can make a ton of money and have a great career just doing even local bands, like the guy that works across the hall from me, Eric... He makes a lot of money. He's always booked. He loves what he does. He's his own boss. He works on his own terms. He's just—he's doing fantastic. And he only does local bands, mostly like local rock bar st- kind of style bands and things like that. And he just loves what he does, and he's great at it. And you know, he's living his dream.
2: Yeah. So we try to steer people towards more realistic directions, and not necessarily—not necessary to say the only thing that you could possibly do in your life is record local bands. It's not that, it's just the, uh, get your head out of the clouds about platinum records, get your head out of the clouds about being the next, this guy or the next, that guy. What you should do is focus on getting really good networking, delivering cl- value to your clients and building a career little by little, a sustain. And enjoying it. Yes, exactly. And enjoying it. Um, so, and yeah, of course we definitely do get some guys like Josh was asking who are looking for that. Cause I think, I think at the end of the day everyone kind of hopes for that the same way that people buy the lottery tickets even if they know they're not going to win. You know, even when the when the lottery gets high enough, I'll buy a ticket cuz fuck it, why not? Someone's going to win. Like with when it got to like 1.5 billion a few months ago, I bought it cuz why not, right? Why not? But like, we try to definitely steer people away from that kind of thinking. And if we hear it from people, we try to uh, set them straight on it because it's better for them. They shouldn't, they're they're in for a big disappointment if they think they're going to be stars. That's not to say that that won't happen. I'm sure that out of all of our subscribers, there might be a few people who become the next somebody, but that's not something that you should count on. That's not, that's not the kind of thing that you can plan a career on. That's like the bonus. Yeah, I, I'm not saying this to disparage uh, anyone from wanting to make like big records either or, no, or, to, no, of or course to, not.
4: to complain about uh, some of the stuff I've been fortunate enough to work on. But to a degree, like what you were talking about with the guy across the hall, it, that to me actually sounds really awesome. And for the people that are aspiring to get into this, as you work your way up, and I'm sure you guys know this, as you work your way up in dealing with bands that are more successful and more popular, there comes a whole lot of extra outside... I don't know of a better word for it other than bullshit is Stress. not, yeah, str- actually that would <laughs> probably been better. Um, that is not involved with really the creative process of making a record. Like if you're, if you, if you're just doing local bands, you're not dealing with A&R guys coming in. Like I don't hear a single or I think this should be louder. Or I mean, when you get a, an artist on a multi-platinum level, you know, three or four albums into their career, or you're working on the album after the album that tanked, like there's weird situations like that where, you're dealing with outside stresses that don't even involve making a record, and it's not, it's not fun, and it's not what you got in the business to do. Like you're you're sitting through marketing meetings and having to play stuff for label people, and I'm I'm not complaining about ever having to do any of that. Like it, it just comes with the territory, but I think it can kind of get romanticized making like these giant platinum records too. And I think last time I was on, we even talked about this too. You know, a lot of people under the impression like, oh, when you're making this huge record and you have this huge studio some artists and money's no issue, you have all this time to get great sounds and this, that, and the other. And and sometimes you don't because that artist has so many meetings to go to during a day to promote everything else they're doing. So to a degree, if you're just working with, if you're able to make a living just working with guys that that just want to make music and have recording good, good recordings of it, like that's, that's a great career. That's a perfectly viable
2: thing. Um,
3: and it's totally
2: possible to do that. Yeah. yeah.
3: Like I said, Eric has a ton of fun doing it. He just loves what he does, and he's totally content with it.
2: I, I know you
4: guys play too. I don't really play in bands anymore just because I'm busy doing what I'm doing. But I kind of have a rule now that I won't play with a band if everybody, if the band has aspirations of, you know, quote, unquote, making it, not to deter anyone from doing that. But for me, being, I realized kind of at a point where, especially, you know, Music being my business uh, and it also being a hobby, when I play music, I don't want to have to think about any of that. Like, I just want to play music and have fun. And it's incredibly rewarding. And because there's none of that outside, oh, we need to flyer this and we need to promote this and we need to get a manager and we need to get this demo together and we have to present this and it's kind of the same thing i like got on a microcosm dealing with making records is there's going to be a lot of stuff like that that comes in especially as the artists get bigger and you're dealing with appeasing the a&r guy or helping write songs so not to say that's all bad but just to say like i guess just to reiterate if you are operating on a level like you know your neighbor there where i'm having fun and you know yeah i'm not working on bands that everybody knows i mean that's a thing like a big part i think of everybody's discography is bands that other people don't know about because making it in a band or having a record go big, it's, it's all one giant lottery. You can make a perfectly good living working on stuff. I mean, there were so many bands that came through NRG that just never went anywhere that had a ton of backing and were rad dudes and people made really great records and are really proud of it. That just, people made a really good living doing it and it it never blew up, but it doesn't mean you're unsuccessful in making a record for living.
2: Well, exactly. Because there's, again, there's that whole timing and luck factor. There's a whole side of it that's outside of your control. Whereas just creating sustainable career is not. So yeah, we try to, we try to dispel that as much as we possibly can, but, uh, I think we are out of time and, uh, Thank you.
3: Josh, super awesome having you back again. Yeah. Thanks for
2: having me back on. (laughs) It's always good talking to you guys. Yeah. Couldn't think of a cooler person to have on for one year anniversary, so... Thanks for coming on.
4: No problem. When are you guys uh, back through LA? By the way, because I realized I missed you all at Nam. Although I saw a all for a little bit one evening. I don't, I, I have no idea.
3: <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe next Nam.
4: All right, I'll probably <laughs> still <knows>? be here. <laughs> I'm sure at some point. Yeah. All right. I just realized after the fact that I was like, oh, everybody was in town.
2: Really should have made it a point. Although I was out of town most of that weekend, so. Uh, you know how it goes with Nam. It's impossible. Yeah. All right, man. Well. Thank you again for coming on, and uh, congrats to you guys, Joe and Joel, for sticking this out for a year.
1: Yeah, congrats to you as well, man. And uh, if you're listening to this episode and you've heard the first one, hopefully you've noticed a growth in your progress uh, from listening to the show and interacting with us and all the different things that we do. If you're looking for faster growth, you should uh, sign up for Nail the Mix. If you're not already a member, check out NailTheMix.com and Become a better mixer. Yeah, and that and that's the truth. I, I'll I'll back nail the mix.
4: Just telling, hey, I I don't enter mine to compete but I'll download all your stuff and just mess with it just to get more practice in on mixing I think it's like a really cool thing you guys are doing
2: boom thank you I'm glad to hear that
0: the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Line 6 Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling and makes guitars amps effects pedals and multi effects we introduced the world's first digital modeling amp and we're behind the groundbreaking pod multi effect which revolutionized the Industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone line six will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music go to www.line6.com to find out more about line six to get in touch with the urm podcast visit urm.com podcast and subscribe today